everyone. Welcome back to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. We are in our series called Speak Up and Speak Out, where we are interviewing special guests who have some things to say. And I'm Sarah, and I'm here with my co-host, Stacy. Hey! And Kevin is not with us today, but he will be missed. And Darren. Hey, hey. Um, We're so glad that you could join us. And today, um, as we continue to to speak up and speak out with um, LGBTQ plus people and those who are, um, especially those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, as a part of our Pride Month series, if you will, um, I absolutely had to have on another good friend of mine um, who I met... I met at my at my church and um, they were already like pushing boundaries that I was just not used to seeing in church. And they were already uh, just being authentic in ways that me coming into this church and coming into a more progressive church space. Um, I was like, oh, I have permission to be like on it. Like I don't have to filter. I don't have to limit myself. And so since then, I've gotten to see them uh, really persevere stuff, challenge stuff in church, uh, as well as speak. Um, uh, They were a guest at the Reformation Project and uh, spoke as a keynote and absolutely had us all on our feet. Um, But also, you know, somebody who who has a has a dear heart and uh, really cares about some important things. So with that, I would love for Jarrell to uh to tell us a little bit more about who you are where you are in the country and um anything that you know i always encourage people to boast on themselves brag on yourself let us know what you're proud about in your life okay hi um i'm jerelle my pronouns are they them i am a minister in hiding uh (laughs) uh, and a texan who lives in the great state of michigan um, although I pay taxes here, so I may as well claim to be a Michigander. Um, <laughs> I live in Detroit. <laughs> right. Paying these taxes is no joke, especially these Detroit city taxes. They do oh, not yeah. play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me think. What was, what was I doing? I live in Detroit. I work at a Hispanic nonprofit doing youth education. I am a pet parent to a dog and a kitten. And a plant parent to about 22 different plants um, in my cute little oh. apartment. Okay, yeah, it's plant fun. Plant parent, yes. Yeah, it's a Garden of Eden in here. Um, How many of those plants did you acquire during COVID? So when I started in this apartment, I had zero plants. I moved wow. here in March. So I acquired tw- over 22. Some of them have died. <laughs> That is epic. Some flowers are currently in their process. They've bloomed and now they are retiring. Uh, And my friend is having a real hard time saying goodbye to them. So he keeps trying to bring them back to life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else about me? I don't know. You said to boast. I don't really have things to boast in besides Jesus Christ. But uh, (laughs) let me think. Everyone is interested by the fact that I ran for Congress um in the texas 35th district you you didn't know that 
That's how I got the job at UVC is I told them I ran for Congress and they were like, what? Ooh, explain. Um, But yeah, I ran for Congress against an entrenched Democrat and he's still there. He's been in office since I was born um, and he'll probably be in office until he dies. Um, (laughs) The Lord says the same. Um, I ran for Congress. I've worked in churches in Texas and in Chicago and now I, I've done all sorts of things. I've lived yeah. in a car. I've lived in houses and apartments. I dropped out of a PhD program. I have a master's in divinity. Um, after 10 years in an ordination process, I just called it quits and brushed the <laughs> dust off my feet. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are things. I've done things. Oh, I'm published? Okay. I forgot I'm a published author. See? I... <laughs> Sometimes you need an invitation to Sometimes speak on these things. Sometimes you need an invitation. Things. Yeah, I've been in a book or two. Two. Yeah, I've been in two books. Um, yeah, I have a blog. I have a website. Look me up. I'm fun. Nice. <laughs> okay. Um I am concerned that I don't have a moving line on my microphone. Is anybody else seeing my microphone move? I, you can hear me. I see your line moving, but mine doesn't move for me. So it's okay, a well, move. mine okay. isn't moving for me either. Okay, well, I that's see fine. both of you. Yeah. Okay, as long as everybody else sees a line moving, then I'm going to trust the process and hope we don't have to record this whole thing over again. Okay, we're going to keep going. <laughs> All the green lights are on, so I think that's the main thing. Let's just trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. In right. all of our ways, acknowledge God and oh God shall Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Bye-bye, uh, see ya. <laughs> Stacey's like, yep, I've, I've finally hit my limit with, with you people. Caught up by the ghost. Oh God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting to connect with you and to uh, kind of be on the same journey with you in some ways. Um, I remember like a big memory that I have and maybe we'll, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I like to do like little lighthearted warm-up questions, but sometimes I just go straight for the jugular. So we're going to go for the jugular. (laughs) I remember uh, when the, the year that you spoke at the Reformation Project and um, I was um, I was on the team that was in the, the closing worship. We were uh, we were preparing communion and uh, you and one other friend uh, were were the celebrants for the communion. And I remember uh, we were singing this song and you have a, a church full of queer people and their allies um, lining up. And I just remember you holding up those elements and um, and offering this congregation of people, many of whom who've been told that because they're queer, that they can't have communion or because they are in a same-sex marriage, that they they can't uh, lead in their church. Different kinds of barriers have been put up for the people in this room. And I remember having this moment um, and remembering part of your story of have the challenge that you faced and and hopefully I'm not setting up something that you don't want to talk about, but um, how you've been in this faithful process and unable to continue the process because of the ways policies work. And I just, I was so, it was so powerful to see you, God using you in this moment, 
but to also be thinking about the way the powers that be in our denominations and in our earthly structures limit you from that. Um, would you would you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Ooh, about the power of God breaking through despite the power of man standing in the way or oh, about the powers that be that stopped <laughs> the ordination process. I, I think Those they go hand in questions. hand. They, they, they go hand in hand. Like, it, again, I don't want to put all your stuff on front street, but I, I, we shared that experience. And I think it's a really insightful moment um, mm. as we look at what it, what it means to like be somebody who's, who's out here in the world, just trying to be there, live their best lives. And right. Like, it's hard. But do you remember how that moment started? Refresh my memory. So the way that I opened that sermon was I told people to close their eyes and then to raise their hand if they ever contemplated taking their own life because mm-hmm. of what they were taught in the church. Mm-hmm. And the amount of hands that went up in that room changed the way that the sermon went. Yeah. Because it changed what the people of God needed to hear. Yeah. It changed the message that God was doing. And you know, not all, oh, I know this cat is not trying to eat my plant. Not all pastors alter their sermons on the fly. Yeah. It's also, it's mainly recommended that we don't. (laughs) But when the spirit moves, Jarrell tries to move out of the way. And so just let God do. <laughs> Amen. When you said uh, you you asked that question about what percentage of the hands went up, I would say at least seventy five. Wow, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And like to be on the stage, like you want to go out into the room and mm-hmm. hug people and hold them and tell them that you're so glad that they're still there. But that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to be the comforter. And so mm. I'm like, let's get into the scripture and let the spirit work. Ooh, I still get chills. I actually watched this the other day, like a snippet of mm-hmm. it. I had to shut it down because yeah. I was starting to shout. And my poor neighbor on the second floor, <laughs> like, like what's, go- what's going on up there? I'm going to shout the whole building down. <laughs> like, like the walls of Jericho. And so right. I was like, God, what do you need me to tell these people in this moment? Mm-hmm. Baptism. Oh, and this is like, the problem with the church is that it makes a lot of promises to babies before mm-hmm. they become adults. In baptism, they're promised that they will be loved and that they will be cherished mm-hmm. and that they will be taught the ways of Christ and that they would be born into a new family. It's a new birthing for these children. The problem is, is that you can't tell which baby is queer or which Mm -hmm. baby will have a disability or will be neurodivergent or which baby that's a woman will be too loud and ruckus and too full of leadership skills and intimidate small, weak men. Um, You don't know which baby (laughs) is going to be what. And... The church promises these same things to all of these children. I was promised that I was a child of God and that I was loved fully and that I would be included in the waters of baptism. Mm -hmm. And then when I came out, 
it's like I magically came out of baptism. Wow. Wow. And the further problem, furthermore, ordination is an f- extension of baptismal vows. So anyone who has been baptized, hypothetically, has access to the ordination track because we are all started together in the waters of baptism. Okay. Now, we don't all keep going and do that, and that's Lord. Just like we don't all go on to get married, we don't all go on to do the other things that happen in the sacramental theology of baptism, but yet we all start from that same point. So we are all entitled to that track. And the church wants to have it both ways, to say that ordination is only for them, that they hold all of the power and that they hold all of the rights, and that they get to decide who is and who is not of God, and that the baptism is for everyone, so that they can use queer people to lead music ministry and Uh children's ministry. Come on set up for the singles events and for the Valentine's Day couples things and clean up afterwards. But when it comes time to ordain queer people, all of a sudden, well, you don't understand the rules or what they really love to use is the unity of the church. Oh, Y'all cause division Mm. by existing. Your existence is too disgusting for us. (laughs) Too divisive just by being who you are. Mm -hmm. You are a problem. And Jarrell's problem is that I don't let people ignore me. (laughs) (laughs) When I am in a room, you can tell my my laugh is really loud. My voice is loud. And when I see injustice, I get loud. And particularly when it's being uh, perpetuated on those who are marginalized. Yeah. And I didn't think when I started the ordination process that I was going to become a Methodist queer activist or whatever name that I was given by the Methodist News Service. I didn't expect. I just wanted to work in a church. Right. I've been called by God since I was a little kid. I, I felt it as a child that I was going to be a pastor. And so I just thought I was going to walk along, go on to seminary, get my degree, and then I would just go get ordained and keep living life. Mm-hmm. And that's the, and that's that's the thing. Happened. <laughs> right. And that's the thing that that that's so frustrating. I I had the uh, honor of speaking with some some college students who were in a conservative Christian university, and they were sharing like the the obstacles that they faced to just attending classes and and getting counseling and and getting support in the school. Not not anything about the theology. Not anything about who's going to ordain whether or not you can get same sex married. Like none of that was the conversation. They just, just wanted to go to there. class, just existing. Right. And the mm. part where we're conditioned to think that we are a liability, when it's really other people taking issue with our existence mm-hmm. and then telling us that that's yeah. somehow our thing that we need to either work out or be responsible for or shut up about because again that like you said that well we're, we're worried about the unity or this isn't really a problem here and it's just like it is it where did mm. that come from right. mm. 
And it just leaves us with this, with this internalized idea that, that what's wrong is somehow our fault. Our fault. Yeah. And not the church's right. stuff right. that continues to put on everyone. Right. It's yeah, gaslighting. No responsibility. <laughs> it's gaslighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe if you didn't do this, then we wouldn't have to treat you that way. Mm-hmm. We're just loving the sinner. We only hate the sin. It's not you. It's not. Yeah. Maybe you're just not okay. understanding what love looks like. Right. We, the, we just the speaking truth. the truth in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking the truth in love. Oh, Lord, sometimes, I want to vomit. The, sometimes the truth hurts or... Some, or or the I, I always love the um you must be feeling convicted mm. if you if you have a response to something that someone is saying and it's like no you could just be being a jerk and right mm-hmm. responding to that <laughs> yeah or just don't act on your feelings right you no know, or have you tried not Right. Yeah. So, says the married person with kids who's right. on their on their, on their spouse is, for the third time. The scripture <laughs> yes. is very clear. Christians are supposed to be all things to all people. So if you're telling me that I need to be celibate, you need to walk with me. Didn't Jesus say, if a man asks you to walk a mile, go with him too. So if you're asking me to be celibate, uh-huh. maybe you need to be castrated. But... <laughs> Now that's a second mile I hadn't heard the interpretation for. <laughs> Look, I'm here to clear the scriptures. We are here yes. to look through a clearing lens. <laughs> that's, that's so valuable. Like when you when you say queer the scriptures, I, I I know some people who are listening probably have never heard that phrase, but but queering things and the queerness of the gospel. Well, something that I think there's a lot to unpack there. So, so help us. What does it mean to queer things? What does it mean to queer scripture? Well, a common misconception is that queer is just a sexual identity, but it is also a political identity. Queering is to look at things from the perspective of the marginalized and to question things. Queering is all about exposing what is underneath the facade that society has built. So, for example, with the gospel, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and then she conceived and gave birth. That sounds pretty straightforward. Let's queer that scripture. The biblical word for Holy Spirit is Sophia, a feminine proper noun. Why did that feminine proper noun overshadow a woman, Mary, and then that woman conceived? Now, from a straight perspective, that doesn't make any sense. But if you're thinking with your queer theological imagination, Uh lesbians have kids all the time. Facts. Mm -hmm. And they use a little sperm donor, a little (laughs) Joseph lying around. (laughs) Take what they need from him, say goodbye, and then the two of them keep working together to make that child whole. Wow. So let's look. That's queering the scripture. This coming year. Come on, right? <laughs> That's a, a small foretaste of queering the scripture. No, I just imagine how much school, fun the, the nativity scene would be if you're like, this was actually just an IVF arrangement. 
Anyway. Yes. Y'all, we lost Eric. Y'all can't see him, but he's gone. (laughs) I am tickled pink. Oh, God. Okay. No, that was so good. (laughs) So we're now we're querying the scriptures. We are we are challenging the the authorities that be. Let's 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 do some more intersections here. Um, what what has it meant to be both black and queer in a world that ostracizes, diminishes, rejects both of those? Um, in the world, and then in the church, like what does that what does that look like? What does that meant? How does that inform inform your faith? Like, mm. you know, what's 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 in there? It's lonely. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one word I would use to describe mm. being black and queer at the same time. It is very lonely. Um, because on the one hand, you don't feel understood and accepted by one community for being queer. Um, mm-hmm. And then you don't feel loved and accepted by the other one for being black. And then even other Black queer people, because of their own oppression, internalize these desires, and then they will reject you for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. The Black gays that only date white people, or, yeah, it's just, uh, (laughs) it's a mess. It feels very lonely. And yet, God created it and said that it was good. So Mm -hmm. there is also, like, joy that comes in being black and queer like Mm -hmm. uh, unlike the white gays I can sing along to all of the black music without fear (laughs) of being curb stomped unlike (laughs) uh, and unlike straight black men I can speak to black women with dignity and respect and understand them (laughs) in ways that straight black men just don't seem to be able to um, there's a magic in being on the margin there yeah. because when you're on the margins, it's easier for you to slip in between the cracks of society. It's easier for you to see the other people that have been left behind. It's easier to step outside of the box because the box wasn't made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't contain you um, as a black queer person. Boxes just cannot hold us in. We are just too much, too divine, too joyful. Too powerful. Just (laughs) boasting again. Um, But yeah, it's it's an interesting intersection. And then when you add Christian on top of that, then you get the queer people who hate Christianity. So they want to reject you for that reason, just by being a Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's fair because Christians. Have we have earned? We have have, have produced the fruit. Okay, come on now, fruits. <laughs> Stacey, yeah, it sounds like so you want like, to co-sign that too. <laughs> and then the church also rejects you for being black in large amounts of it. Like I remember my grandmother growing up in the South couldn't bring her children to church with her because they were too dark skinned. So she was able to go to this church because her skin was lighter and she could sit in the back. And my dad and his sisters had to go to the Black Baptist Church. They weren't allowed. I had not heard that. I know. Like, it's crazy. And this is 
my dad isn't that old. He's not even 55 yet. So like, this is still relatively fresh history. Um, Yeah. Adding that level of Christian just makes it worse. I think (laughs) if I was just black and queer, it might be a little bit more manageable, but once you add Jesus to things, then it's like, woof, an extra burden of people who are supposed to love you who don't. Yeah. Hmm. I think, too, maybe coming from the agnostic atheist portion of formerly Christian people, I think it's hard sometimes for us to understand why. Why would you want to be a part of a group of people who have mistreated you? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's my thought anyway, is, you know, why still continue wanting to be a Christian if, you know, Christians have always just tried to bring you down? I get that question. And then I try and turn it on people and ask, like, so when did you leave your family behind? And Mm -hmm. no one ever has an answer for me because they keep going back to their families. In the same way, the church is my family. Like, y'all hear me talk. I can't talk without quoting the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) I try. Like, it just comes out. It gave me language. Like, when I fell in love with reading... The first book I read was the Bible. It's one of the first non-chapter books I completed. Um, Mm -hmm. In seventh grade, I read the Bible front to back. And like, I, I also, I had this question come up. I'm so glad you brought the atheist agnostic perspective. One of my, my bestie in Detroit asked me the same question, like, why God? And the problem was like, I don't have a good answer besides that I've experienced God. And like, I can tell you what it feels like to be in the presence. Like I can tell you what it feels like to experience the Holy Spirit. And if I didn't have these experiences, maybe it would be easier to walk out the door. But like I do. And because of it, I know that other Christians are wrong. (laughs) Like I know that other Christians haven't like, these Christians that are filled with homophobia and sexism and racism, I know that they haven't really touched God because once you touch Jesus, you get healed. Once you like experience (laughs) a flavor of God's goodness, you want to share goodness with others. When you taste it, you see, Ooh, Lord, I'm filled with some evil shit. Help me deal with this stuff. Like once you see that God is good to you, you want to be good to others. And so I know that most Christians in America haven't experienced God because I can see their fruits. The Bible says that you will be able to judge the trees by the fruits that they produce. Do you see these QAnon Christians producing love, joy, mm. peace? <laughs> That's what they were doing at the, at the Capitol, yeah, right? Yeah, at the Capitol. Yeah. That, was, that was a peace rally, right? The mm-hmm. fruit of the spirit, we know. But, like, uh, we don't see them producing it. So for me, it's like, I have to stay and warn people. Hey, look, y'all are looking for Jesus. You're not going to find him in here. Wow. Wow. At least that's what I'm doing from the pews right now. (laughs) 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 Trying to steer people away. Jarrell, I feel a call to ministry. Hmm, have you thought about going to law school? There are a lot of (laughs) interesting people that. (laughs) 
Carol, I feel like going to uh, to into ministry. Have you thought about becoming a social worker? There are a lot of children. Oh my God. So I just want to be a pastor. Have you thought about going into elementary schools? Those children need somebody that loves them and cares for them. That's ministry. Go do yeah. ministry out there because right now the church is shit. And y'all's y'all will just be casting pearls before slime. My God, I need to like live tweet this whole conversation. (laughs) Gems being dropped here. And I'm, but I'm, I'm loving also the idea that ministry is supposed to be out in this world. That even if you are a social worker, I was in social work before I got, I've just, I'm, I guess I'm two years now in ministry, but that, that was my ministry. Mm. And, I I loved it. I mean, I still it's different now being in youth ministry. Um well, it's different. Youth I, ministry is a story. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a story. And it's a different and it's a different walk. But I mean, I I can see in ways and how I've been used in every kind of aspect of job of the jobs that I've had that weren't directly related to the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, see, and I think it's another trick. Just like the military tries to tell you that, like, the only way you can serve is if you serve your country by enlisting, the church tries to do the same thing. Oh, the only way you can serve God is if you come on and sign up for our program and get paid less than your worth and work 60 (laughs) hours a week and then on weekends and never take a vacation and make sure that you have the kids that we want you to have and that they're not too misbehaved. And yeah, come and list in our program. It's the same sort of thing. And you know what? The ministry is out outside the doors. The ministry is Monday through Sunday. Like Sunday is just when we come to recoup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I feel like my job is a little easier because I'm just like, there's not a lot of stuff going on, you know, and not to say that I'm not making impact. But when I was in social services, there was always something going on. Oh, yeah. Always something. Like there was so much. I mean, I was overwhelmed with, you know, like anybody in social services, you're wearing many hats. But there was always something going on. And so you can't tell me that 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 wasn't ministry because it it was a lot of work. And there were a lot of, you know, a lot of people that even if I wasn't, you know, because you're not allowed to talk about and, and really the lines between talking about church and, and even just respecting other people's various religious beliefs um, within social services. But just being there and showing up for people and being with people. I've worked with a lot of people who experience a lot of trauma and just sitting with people. And I mean, coming home at the end of the day and just feeling like I was exhausted, but at the same time, my cup was full. And mm-hmm. it was like the, the weirdest feeling of just knowing that I'm being used, knowing that my gifts are being used and I'm exactly where I needed to be. And that's, that's a really important point. Like you, you can very, very likely spend your entire life doing church, formal church ministry and never deal with somebody who's experiencing trauma. Mm. You can spend your whole life doing church, you know, formal church ministry and never come face to face with the realities that so many people are facing on multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's, I, I keep saying it. It's, it's just like, how how is it that the church has so much to say about queer people? But they aren't there for they aren't there dealing with HIV. They aren't they aren't dealing with the the homeless uh, LGBTQ youth population. They aren't dealing with uh, job discrimination and housing discrimination. Like, where are you showing up? Right. That how how is it that that you have so much to say about this group and you have so much ministry to these groups, but you've never dealt with any of these topics Mm. that largely affect these same groups right well they don't do it with straight people well because they all have have something to say about abortion but like very few i've seen very few ministries that offer prenatal care Mm -hmm. they show up when there's a baby Mm -hmm. and they take the baby and then they say thanks for not aborting it and then send Mm -hmm. the mom on the way. Or they'll call her over and persuade her to not (laughs) terminate the pregnancy, and then that'll be that. Like, Mm -hmm. where's the the food? Where, Mm -hmm. Like, having a baby costs money. Mm -hmm. Where's the person who's going to pay the bill uh, (laughs) at the hospital? Where's the person who's going to show up in the middle of the night when the mom is panicked and doesn't know what to do with the crying baby because she's a teenager and y'all forced her to have this kid right. and who's going to show up? Like, where are y'all actually when it comes to this ministry? Right. They don't show up for straight people. So why would you ever expect them <laughs> to show up for queer people? The conversion ministry is just so that you fall in line and fit the, the standard rote cookie cutter position. Behavioral change position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. In the same way that forcing a woman to have a baby is like, oh, now it's almost like a nuclear family. You're a little broken, but don't worry. God will fix it. And ignore oh. all the postpartum experiences. Right. That, where's, that, the, where's the church ministry for postpartum depression? I have yet mm. to see one of those. Oh, we could pass church. out condoms, too. We could do birth <laughs> control. We could, you know, to have sex ed, actual scientific actual, sex ed. And not inclusive sex ed, what? Yeah. <laughs> not like protested happening in our public schools. Like, you know, <laughs> hello. Consense, that's too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, but there's... you see what that requires? Education requires humility in saying, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know some things. Uh, and for many of us to take that position is hard work. Um, Which is also why I know so many people haven't been touched by God because they have not been made humble. (laughs) And I don't want to just say this is true for the Christians I disagree with. There are a lot of Christians on the left that are not humble. And they are terrible and insufferable to work with. And I'm not going to name names. But I'm going to say... That there are stumbling blocks on the like on the walk to being made more like Jesus. It's called a narrow path for a reason, because everyone else is on the road too, and they just block you. You're trying oh, to move forward, and then here comes, well, brother, I'd like you to work with me on this project. Oh, now you're snared. And then you like, well, if you just come over to our church, we promise we're inclusive. Well, and then you're trapped again. And you're trying to move forward. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this, this this is this is the John the Baptist 
as one calling out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. <laughs> yeah, where's my church fan? <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to pull out the MLK church fan or the Barack Obama church fan or one of the two because they're kind of the two and the same. Really, at this point, they have I've seen one with Barack on one side and MLK on the other. And I'm like, well, where's Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're the stand-ins, you know. <laughs> so, you could just print one with Darren's face on it. That would be good. There we go. Oh, that'd be cute. Clear black Jesus. <laughs> right? Yes. I, I saw Jesus at the Pride Parade. We've got a poem about it. Um, <laughs> got a poem about it? <laughs> here you go. <laughs> so so I wanna I wanna I wanna continue ex- to expand these thoughts. And um, I don't think we've had a chance to talk. And as always, you're free to to, to redirect us. Um, but let's, are, are you open to talking about gender? What about gender? Let's talk about it. Well, um, and, and in our journeys, uh, I didn't always know you as using they, them pronouns. And um, Me that's a... <laughs> That's an understanding that that for so many people, there's so much confusion, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much, so many misconceptions. But some of the best uh, insights that I've gotten about who we are in God have come from people who are not on the binary, who from people who have transcended into understanding who God is and how God sees them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I. I if if you're open, could you share a little of your journey um, into gender and into um, I, uh, is it is it accurate you're identifying as as non-binary or your yeah, experience that is accurate. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, yeah. I don't even know how to explain it. Like someone asked me this on another podcast, and <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just like think it just didn't feel right. Like I always hated men. And being one didn't make sense to me because, like, I didn't like things that other men liked. I learned to enjoy watching college football, and that's pretty much it. And all other sports, except for watching rugby, because the men wear really short shorts and appreciation for rugby. There's no other sport besides gymnastics that really captures my eye and when you tell men that you really like gymnastics you they just give you a look and i'm like oh one of those and so yeah gay made sense and but gender didn't make sense because to me as like i'm just a man who likes men that makes sense to me um i can go forward like this but the gender it just like the expression didn't make sense to me. And I've always wanted to be like Prince, more androgynous and leaning mm-hmm. into like wearing makeup and platforms and purple all the time. And like, I just, color. right. The purple one cometh. And I just like further leaned into exploring, like not being a cis person. And eventually it just made sense. You know what? I'm non-binary. May as well. Um, but I first quoted Prince and changed my gender on Facebook to, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, I'm something that you'll never understand. Mm. I would Prince had words. Yes. Prince well, had words. 
What what was that, Stacy? I would die for you. Uh, <laughs> so my professor <laughs> Sorry, said that that was a song about Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then she's like, well, I'm not your lover. I'm not your friend. Like, and she ex- explained, like, walk through the lyrics. This is about mm-hmm. the incarnation. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's clearing the text. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But it was also really badass. It fit. That's what's up. And it, and I, I think that's so important of just having space to find what fits. Mm. Um, because uh, we, we, we've been talking uh, in our group chats, we've been talking about uh, as people move into more inclusive language in, in various spaces, um, some people have this kind of reductionist view where if you let, uh, they, they feel like, or they seem to respond as if, if you let other people have their expressions, and if you include language, if you use language that includes them, that somehow you're taking things away like you're taking things away from men or you're taking things away from women. If you, if and you're like, wait, what Sarah, Sarah, could you, uh, could you uh, give us an example? Yeah. So um, in my spare time, which hasn't been much, um, I'm a trained doula. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that's awesome. It's I'm not currently practicing because I don't, you know, have a whole full-time job. Um, however, you know, keeping in touch just with what's happening um, in the birth work world. And I believe there was like a Fox News article or something that came out about um, just various people in the birth work field um, and reproductive health moving towards um, inclusive language. So instead of saying, you know, assuming that someone is a birthing mother, you can say birthing person. Right. And the TikToks and the comments and just even people that I know, um, doulas and non-doulas are just like, just upset, like just so upset because the feeling that um, comments that I've heard are, you know, it sounds impersonal or, Um, I didn't ask for this or you're excluding me. And my thought is, but, but aren't you a person? (laughs) I mean, I guess if you don't want to identify as a person, we can talk about that, but uh, it's, it's including everyone, but it also leaves room for everybody's pronouns to be respected and not assuming Mm -hmm that everyone wants to go by mother or every birthing person wants to, you know, say breastfeeding. Some people might want to say chest feeding or just feeding, or it just opens up that possibility that no one should be misgendered. Right. And the outrage and it's a lot of it is, you know, cis het white women who just feel so oppressed (laughs) and, I was, I'm just, it's like, I'm disheartened because I, I just feel like, you know, especially in the doula world, like if we're supposed to be sitting with people in the, you know, a very vulnerable state, right? 
and we we speak so much about how we're so supportive of of people's choices yet this is so upsetting to so many people mm-hmm. and people would rather well that's their choice so why does it have anything to do with me like just really really just ignorant comments yeah. and i so wonder been- like would they prefer if it said birthing father instead of birthing mother like that would make them even more irate like yeah. i don't know mm-hmm. to say I don't really know. It is disheartening. But, like, for me, it makes sense. Like, this is part of the reason why I'm still in the church, because the church gives you language. Like, for me, I'm like, oh, well, they're just, like, in sin. Like, that makes sense. They're sinfully attached to themselves. They've made idols of them of their own selves. And so, like, Anytime you question something that might make them question themselves, you're literally challenging their God. Like most people don't worship Jesus in the United States. They worship themselves. And so so anytime you question someone or ask them about the Jewish space laser conspiracy they believe in, what you're really questioning is the idol that they've erected in their own heart for themselves. And... Sometimes that idol looks like white Jesus. And sometimes that idol looks like, uh, what was that woman? The, the barbecue Karen who calls people, well, on people. Who would be calling cops on everybody. Barbecue Becky. <laughs> barbecue Becky. Uh, Everybody's favorite meme. Oh Bless her heart. Can you imagine? You call the cops on one innocent Negro and all of a sudden you're a villain. Oh my! You are part of the of the of the social zeitgeist. Wow! Truly, uh, like the girl who created On Fleek, you are now part of the culture for all eternity. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like for me, this just it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but it also doesn't. Like if I'm trying to think from my rational mind, none of this makes sense. They changed a word to make it more inclusive. I like being included. I want other people to like being included too. This just makes sense to me. And so like, I get the frustration, but I also don't know what the remedy is. For Mm -hmm. me, the remedy was becoming a person that's empathetic, um, Mm -hmm. becoming Mm -hmm. a person who cares about others. But I don't know how to like replicate the feelings of empathy for people. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to like, give people the desire to become better than they are, except for through the power of baptism. (laughs) Going back, like for me, it's like, this just makes sense um, in faith. And I told my friend who questioned me about why God, like he said, you had these experiences and they changed you, but like I changed on my own. And my response to him was no you didn't you told me someone else changed you that she challenged you and she made you become more empathetic he said yeah but she was like this this and this before that and I was like well somebody challenged her too and so at some point we have to make ourselves the challenger and we might be casting our pearls before swine. one of those swine might become a good plate of bacon or something useful 
And um, not, not a very vegan friendly reference, but okay. That's not a very vegan friendly reference. We can make it see. We'll go back to plants. We are supposed to like <laughs> nurture and water the seeds of empathy in others that we see. Mm-hmm. It's our job um, as good people to try and produce other good people. And so we have to challenge when we see bigotry and hatred mm-hmm. and ignorance too. Sometimes it's not bigotry, it's just stupidity. And it's hard to differentiate sometimes because they look mm-hmm. really similar nowadays. But I don't know. It's a hard fight, but we have to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting, but here we are. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so it's so interesting to hear your um inclusion of sin in this because for so many people when I hear them talk about these social challenges as sin and when they are saying that the answer is the gospel it's a it's a spiritual bypassing that they're doing where they're they're saying oh we're not going to actually deal with this we're going to toss it up to God and hope mm-hmm. he catches it and and then that way I'm not guilty. No one's guilty. It's all about Jesus and, and, and we can just move on. Um, but when you talk about sin and you talk about the implications of what the gospel does to our sin or when, what Jesus does with our sin, it, it challenges for us to like dig deeper, for us to get our hands dirty, to look at how policy is harming people, to look at how our conceptualizations are causing harm because that's that's my measure of sin. It's like who is being harmed here? Is, is mm-hmm. it harming my mm-hmm. relationship with God? Is my is it harming my relationship with other people? Um, rather than, well, let's look at this code and look at this law. It's just like no, that's the that's the letter. I'm, I'm the spirit of this thing is that we are trying to live into love, and I feel like your conceptualization of sin and how we respond to sin does increase empathy it does increase love but it's very 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 different than what we typically hear when people do talk about sin i know Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is but I, I, I again i think it just it feels like there's a huge opportunity there um because you know to to be quite honest um i i have i have kind of resigned in some ways from engaging with people who who say well well, what about sin and because it's like i yes there is sin yes i I do believe it's a thing but i don't desire to engage with people who are just looking for a bypassing opportunity so Mm. that they can preach a a manipulative gospel Mm. that is just trying to change individualistic outward Mm -hmm. behavior Mm -hmm. Because you can't, because again, when you're when you're about this individualism and when you're about, you know, only God can do it, it means, oh, well, if, if racism is systemic, then there's nothing anyone can do but just try to be a nice person. And I'm like, no, there's definitely more we can do and, and should do. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, but I, I think there's something really powerful, powerful in what you're saying. Mm. Um and how we just how we apply all this yeah like i said the joy of christianity is in the power of the words and 
Christians often back themselves into traps. So do you remember, what was it, InterVarsity and like a bunch of other right-wing organizations were like, we're going to be bold and brave and it's the age of Black Lives Matter. So we're going to say that. And this is before is 2020, right? This is oh, before, yeah. this is even before everybody hopped on the bandwagon. Before everyone hopped on the bandwagon, they all said that racism was sin. And the way that like evangelicals talk and treat about or talk about sin and treat it is that they just say a prayer and then they get forgiven and then they go back and do it later. Um, but there's also another way that many of them talk about sin and it comes to sex. So let's go to porn. Evangelical oh, men all a, a believe, they all have this belief that they are addicted to pornography. Um, that porn is just like this evil boogeyman gateway drug into hell. And if you watch porn, you're going to get addicted to it no matter what. So they have these things called accountability partners you get yourself another man and y'all watch each other and you make sure that nobody's looking at porn. You ask him, Hey bro, how's your walk with God? Um, I'm serious. This is how I grew up. Every young man's battle was a book they gave us as teens to learn how to not lust after women. And luckily they did include gay people in the book. Oh, they, they included gay people? They in your did book? include gay people. There's one page about us. It says, if you think you might be struggling with same-sex attraction, talk to your pastor. Oh. So the book was uh, all about course. straight people. So yours yours was the young man's version. <laughs> I had the every man's battle. Okay. And every man's battle specifically told me that if you're gay or if you're uh, using prostit- prostitutes, that this book was not good enough for you. You you're way too far gone. Oh wow! You need you need something else. And so I was like, Well, at oh. least when I was young, I wasn't too far gone. <laughs> Thank God that these are experts on. Sex. Lucky for you, I was. I, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was living in a in a in an old Sunday school room, trying to hide from my sin because that's what the pastor told me to do. So, but yeah. you see, like <laughs> they treat the sin so seriously that they do something about it. They so do when they something. declared that racism was a sin, my next question was. Well, what are you doing to combat it in your hearts and minds? Because I know when I was struggling with the sin of porn addiction, I had an accountability partner. I had to do my daily devotion. I had to, what is the phrase they gave us? Bounce your eyes. I had to bounce my eyes. I had to. Are you familiar with that phrase? I'm so sorry. No, that's new one for me. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to when you when you find yourself gazing at at a let's just say it the way they said it when a man is looking at a woman's anatomy, <laughs> you're supposed to bounce your eyes away because that because if you look, then you're because sinning. That, but if you bounce your eyes away, that somehow takes away the one it, second you did. It look takes away the one second. Right. Okay, it's oh like when you drop food on the floor and you pick it up real quick. Bounce yeah. the bounce your eyes. Oh my God. This is Yeah. So I'm like, y'all do all of this for porn addiction. What are you doing for racism, white men? Are you bouncing away (laughs) from silence, right? Yeah. Are you bouncing your eyes when you hear someone say the N word? Are you bouncing away when you (laughs) see black women being mistreated on the streets? Are you bouncing away? Like, and the reality is, is they do. They just keep bouncing on down the street. 
Um, it, ne- it never deals with <laughs> mm-hmm. anything, right? It, it's yeah. never addressed why you even were, were fixated. It's just, okay, well, just avoid it at all costs. There's a conversation about racism. Avoid it. Well, yeah, because like, if you talk about it too much, it's division. It's division mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. creating racism because yes. clearly Barack yeah. Obama brought racism back exactly. after it ended when Martin Luther King was shot dead in the street. That's right. clearly when the end of it was because it didn't exist until, mm-hmm. you know, 2016. <laughs> Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Mercy. That's, oh, see, now, see, now I'm going to have to tell some of my business that I, I haven't made really public, but when we talk about gaslighting, um, I was part of a church and part of my restriction from leadership was because I was honest with them about my engagement with pornography and that I considered a struggle at the time. And I was in therapy at the time I was in, in a uh, 12 step at the time I was accountable to the local leadership of my church, but I was in a very large corporately structured church And when I just gave them an honest update, they immediately restricted me from leadership. Mm -hmm. And I went with it because I wanted to be trustworthy. I wanted to do everything possible to show that this was something I'm concerned about, that I'm working on, that I'm, you know, again, honest and transparent because nothing happened. There wasn't like, oh, I just had this major failure and oh, my life is spiraling. No, it was like, no, yeah, I I got therapy next week, but you asked me how I'm doing. So I'm telling you how I'm doing. That's accountability, right? Well, they, you know, immediately shut me down. They immediately uh, uh, restricted me. But here we are, maybe 12 years after that happened. And in the last few years, the the senior leader and all the all the uh, supporting leadership all stepped down because none of them held the senior pastor accountable when actual women were coming forth and accusing him of sexual impropriety. And it's the part for me where I'm like, wait, 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 wait. But these are the same people who I came and told my stuff to that, that removed me from leadership. These aren't like structural, like, oh, there's a rule. No, these are the exact people that said to my face that I couldn't be in leadership, mm. who dismissed multiple accusations and failed to properly investigate multiple occurrences. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait. I thought we all were being accountable. I thought we were all like upholding a standard. Well, <laughs> well, you're a straight white male. I know you're not a that straight part. white man. That part, because as you a gay a man and as a, as a non-straight man, yeah, it's 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 different. It's not the same. Or, and, and oh Lord God, yeah, if you were just the right shade, it could have been a different story. Mm. And then you too could get away with abuse. Um, glory to God. Amen. Yeah. Different shade, different, different orientation. And I would have access to all the privileges and, and, and rights that are afforded to mm. cisgender, heterosexual white men. And isn't that the problem? People like, 
ascribe and desire to achieve those privileges and perks and power mm-hmm. rather than to like dismantle the advantages other people have mm-hmm. they say well i just want to get them for myself too and leave everyone else behind mm-hmm. i find that to be greatly disturbing and it literally it makes me question then what are the fruits that these people are producing that they want to be in a position where they can get away with abusing others that they want to be in a place where they're no longer accountable for their actions then what are your real actions mm-hmm. if you want to escape accountability what have you been up to right. <laughs> and it's so common and I, and I i think it's in some parts of it, it's the socialization, right? It's the, the everyone we've ever seen in power has is in some way in power because they are not held to the same standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been my 2021 mantra of, yeah, I, I, you, you've seen the t-shirts and the prayer. I want the, I want the confidence of a mediocre white man. Um, and I've been looking at, the ways that I have always had to be above and beyond. I've had to go the extra mile. I've had to prove myself to people um, in certain ways. But then I've also enjoyed certain privileges, right? Like as a man, I can walk into an electronic store and, and not have people presume I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, as a tall man, I people don't assume that they can fight me. Fortunately, I can't fight. <laughs> At least I not. wasn't going out you, but you added yourself. Hey, it, it just all the tea is being spilled today. So you know, I hope you got your cup. Um, but it's one of those things where I've I've sat with my intersections. I've sat with the privilege of me being cisgender, and only because as a child, my high squeaky voice and my long eyelashes and my quiet artistic nature had me misgendered by people like people if I was wrapped up in for Chicago winter people would see those eyelashes and be like oh you have such a pretty little girl and I'd be like no I'm a boy and for me that's the connecting point for me to realize trans people know exactly who they are non-binary people know exactly who they are Mm -hmm. it's the rest of us that got it wrong Mm because just like I knew I was a boy nobody had to tell me and if certain I didn't think I was a boy because of what was in my pants it was because I knew who I was and I mm. didn't have to wait to a certain age. Oh, they're too young for that. We don't need to in- introduce them to that lifestyle. No, me mm-hmm. being a, me being a boy was not a lifestyle introduction. <laughs> right. But there was sooner before all the heteronormative right. gets implemented. In the <laughs> so it's just one of those things where I feel like, yeah, if we, if we gave people room to be their whole selves, but also, and I, I love this challenge that I feel like you're you're putting out there to grow, to change, to actually do something rather than maintain these, you know, behavior modification programs and maintain these performative versions of what it means to be a Christian. Like I I I I, I tend to in my advocacy, I don't take away people's Christianity is the way I say it. Like, I was like, okay, well, if, if Westboro Baptist Church wants to claim to be Christians, then that means I have to be a much louder Christian. Not, I don't, I don't get to like for in the way that I'm working, I don't get to say, oh, those aren't the real Christians because the people in the world, the people of at large aren't going, oh, those aren't the real Christians. Let's do this discernment thing. Mm -hmm. We all catch the flack. 
every True. single one of us. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, no, I'm not going to. And again, this isn't, I'm not, I'm not like resisting what you're saying. I'm just saying when some people do it outside of this conversation, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to to do the the dance of nuancing. I'm going to say, nope, those are, those are people in my camp and I got to do something about it. Well, and I hate that people try and do that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they're not the real Christians. We're the real Christians. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, first of all, are you going to go back in history and say that like the Roman Catholic church doing the crusades weren't the real Christians and uh, the Puritans killing the indigenous Americans weren't the real Christians and the Christians that supported segregation aren't the real Christians and the Christians that supported slavery aren't the, like. Now that's a slippery slope. <laughs> Christians were shipped across time and space. Uh-huh. Like Christians have always been shitty read the Bible. They were shitty from the beginning. Like they were discriminating in the beginning. Uh, They didn't even make it past one chapter before they started discriminating against people. Do y'all not remember in the book of Acts, they literally had to create a committee that they would stop abusing the Greeks. Like Christians have always been shitty people. So you don't get this privilege of like trying to separate yourself from Westboro Baptist, um, like, or trying to separate yourself from Dylan Roof or George Zimmerman, those Mm -hmm. people were baptized just like you were. And just like queer people are your problem, those people are your problem too. All those crazy QAnon people, all the racists you want to pretend you don't know, um, but you still see them at the family reunion and eat their cooking, yeah, they're still your Christian problem too. Um, My God. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, Sarah's eye. <laughs> Her eyebrows just shot up. <laughs> there, there is so much good word here. We, we have to, we have to have Jarrell back. Yes. Well, <laughs> but I'm just thinking of all like I'm like there's so many good like just phrases that <laughs> just in yep. my head. You dropped so many good gems, man. Truly, mm-hmm. I'm here all week. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, Jarrell, where where should people find you if they want to get more of this goodness? I'm very easy to find. You can find me on Twitter um, at the Jarrell, um, J-A-R-E-L-L. You can find me on my website, JarrellWilson.com. Um, I'm also the Jarrell on Instagram, on Clubhouse. I have the Jarrell on almost everything, y'all. Um, you can Venmo me at Jarrell. I managed to get my first name of Venmo. Yes, we love to see it. Yeah, it um, makes it easy for people to donate. <laughs> and, and they should, because right. this is this is when you need to take up an offering. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, support it. the laborers. And, it, and if you like this podcast, you can also buy us a cup of coffee or, you know, mm-hmm. such things. Links in the in the description below but, <laughs> Amen. but thank you so much I, I really appreciate you being here um you are one of the people that has always done an amazing job of just expanding my view and challenging my life and mm-hmm. letting letting me know how i can be my best self in jesus name <laughs> Amen. that's what i'm here for so we, we're so glad uh uh everyone you've been listening to the church leaders roundtable podcast uh, if you want to email us, you can do that at the 
clrpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we are going to be starting a, a new series uh, coming up, so stay tuned and look forward to that. But uh, thanks again to Jarrell for being with us. Thank you to Stacy and Sarah. Um, Kevin, we are looking for you. Uh, Kevin will be back <laughs> with us uh, for, for the next recording. But uh, thank you for tuning in, and hopefully you got something good out of this. Hopefully you're challenged. Uh, and if you're mad, you can tell us that, too. Um, but if you oh, liked yeah, it, please you do know, tweet right. <laughs> hop, on, hop on those Twitter fingers and uh, message us. Let us know what you thought. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for joining us. Have a good week. Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted me to. And I thought you no were problem. In my head, I was like, I wonder if she's going to go ahead and introduce Kevin, who's not here, but then pass it back to me. But we hadn't talked about that. So no. pick, let's let's pick it up from the uh, from I'm Sarah and then like toss oh, it. No, I feel like y'all need to leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the outtake. Just wait. <laughs> right. I'll um, go back to the way and then mention that Kevin is not with us. Yeah, and then I'll then, take it. I'll then, just take it out. Okay, okay. All right. All right. So do the whole thing over? Uh, yeah. yeah. All right.